do evangelicals fully understand the importance of the Lord's Supper? Also, why did Jesus wash his disciples' feet? And was Judas possessed by Satan? We answer those questions and so much more. I am joined today by Real Life Jamestown, Pastor Tim. What's up, church fam? Welcome back to the Revivalist for Christ podcast. I'm your host, Jordan, and I am back with my beanie. If you are new here, welcome. I put out new content every Thursday. Be sure to like this video to help us in the algorithm. Also, be sure to subscribe and hit that bell notification to be notified of great content. Also, be sure to share to help our ministry grow. And most importantly, leave a comment below. I would love to hear from you. You can also keep up with us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at RFChrist10, or you can even reach out to me at RevivalistForChrist at gmail.com. All right, guys, so I am super excited, super blessed. We have so many new friends this week. Um, within the last, uh, I would say, 48 to 72 hours, we have gotten over 200 subscribers. We're almost to 300. It's been absolutely mind-blowing, especially since just a week ago. We have only had right around 60, which I was very grateful for just that 60, but a huge shout out to my sister in Christ, Renee Roland. She has an amazing YouTube channel, as most of these new subscribers know, but for my older subscribers, I'm going to put her links um, in the description box below. Renee has plenty of great um, content. She's known as the untwisted sister on YouTube. She kind of takes commonly twisted scriptures and brings them into context that are often used to promote either works-based salvation or kind of scare believers. So she's somebody that I really admire for her ministry. Uh, she's a very edifying teacher. So I strongly encourage anyone to watch her channel. She's she's just brilliant with what she does. The Lord definitely um, has shined a light upon her and her ministry. But the reason why I bring that up is because she actually put out a video to promote this channel, which I thought was so incredibly kind of her. There was no need for her to do it. And she did. And that really means a lot. I went into this and when the Lord called me, he said that this was going to be something big. I did not know what that meant. I did not know what that entailed. And I still don't, to be honest. Um, I don't think in order for it to be something big, it has to include all these subscribers. But I've noticed ample opportunities um, coming from this, such as being able to partner with content creators like Renee um, and the rest of the Church of the Eternally Secure brothers and sisters who have been nothing but a blessing this entire time. Um, very... It's been great to have their mentorship so early on in my ministry, being that I'm only a couple of months old um, as far as my channel goes. So it's just been absolutely amazing to have people to fall back on and who have been in this game a lot longer than me. So very grateful for all the new faces. Like I said at the beginning, I would love to hear from you guys. So just everybody comment below. I just, I want to hear you. I want to get to know you. I want to know who's watching this and 
more about your testimony, your story, what you like, what you don't like, favorite Bible verses. I just, I want to know it all. I want to become friends. <laughs> but thank you from the bottom of my heart. It really means so much for you to support this ministry. Um, now, with my other collab that I was doing with Lena from, from the Warrior for Jesus Christ channel, um, I finally had the chance to talk to her. We had the chance to catch up. She is doing great. Um, the Lord really blessed her during that natural disaster in Texas, and things are starting to uh, get back to normal. So we're very thankful um, that the Lord had his provision over her and her family. But I have exciting news. We have a concrete date back or set back in stone for our conversation of whether or not a Christian can lose their salvation. I personally believe that a, a Christian is eternally secure. Uh, Lena actually has strong convictions about the doctrine of once saved, always saved. So like they did in Acts 15, we are coming together to have a conversation. We do not want to call it a, a debate because we are looking for the truth because we both... Um, have such a hunger and thirst for the Lord, and we want to serve him effectively with the correct message. So that will actually be on, let me look at my calendar here. It looks like Sunday, March 21st. So make sure you stay tuned in for that. I will probably make that one a premiere, um, just because I know that it's going to be a, a, a bigger video more so than what these podcasts normally roll out. And also it'll give us a chance to kind of interact with you guys in the chat section if Lena happens to be on um, that day. So I'm super excited to have that conversation. It should be very edifying. But also remember at the end of March, we are having our first Worship Wednesday. I have been in touch with a couple of musicians and uh, we're having a good lineup go so far, and you may even hear a couple of original songs to add to your worship list. So I'm super excited about that. So if you guys have a Bible, go ahead and take it out. If you don't have a Bible, no need to fear. There will be audio and video clippings of the scripture that we will be reading from. Also, all the scripture that we will be using today will be in the description box below, along with multiple other accounts that also relate to the text that we will be reading. If for whatever reason you do not have a Bible, there are also links in the description box below to take you to a website where you can see the free Bible or you can even download the Bible app. Also, for whatever reason, if you cannot get your hands on a Bible, please send me an email so we can figure out how to get one in your hands. As Christians, we know that the Bible is the ultimate source of truth, as well as the home of the gospel that saves, found in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. If you have never heard the gospel, let me go ahead and play something for you real quick. If you have heard the gospel, let this be a beautiful reminder of everything that our Lord and Savior did for us. This is the gospel message, and I just pray that you will open your heart and let it change your life. We were fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God to declare his glory and reveal his majesty. The problem is that one of the angels of God wanted to be higher than God himself and therefore this angel was cast out of heaven, becoming the fallen angel, or as we know him, the devil. 
One day in the Garden of Eden, there was Adam and Eve, the first humans, and the fallen angel appeared to them in the form of a serpent and tempted them to sin against God, and they did, causing mankind to fall. God was angered and he casted Adam and Eve from the garden and told the serpent that he was going to send one who would crush the serpent's head and the serpent would bruise his heel. You have to understand that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and because of that we all deserve an eternal separation from God which is hell. But God loved the world so much that he became man and that man's name was Jesus Christ. Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life by fulfilling all the requirements of the law in order to become the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He was spat on, mocked, and beaten, and people even gambled over his clothes. He was whipped to the point where his flesh was torn from his body and a crown of thorns was crushed into his skull. He was then forced to carry his cross to the site where he would be nailed to it. Jesus then used his last bit of energy after hanging on the cross for several hours to say, It is finished. And then he commended his spirit to the Father. Jesus was then buried. But three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering sin and death. Don't you see? God passed the law that would cause the Jews to sentence his incarnate form to death. The law was the schoolmaster to lead us to Christ and allow us to see our need for a savior. The law was a shadow of good things to come. The promise came before the law. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This is our savior. Now whosoever believes in Jesus Christ as your savior by trusting in his life, death, burial, and resurrection will be saved. He will take on your sin, and you will take on his imputed righteousness. This is the love of God, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Call out to him today. Confess him as your Lord. When you trust only in the blood of Jesus Christ to be your salvation from sin, you will be sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise as a down payment of guarantee of eternal life until the day of deliverance. The Holy Spirit is the seed of God which is planted in you by Jesus Christ through faith in Him. This is what allows you to be presented before a holy God as blameless. The Holy Spirit then baptizes you into the body of Christ, making you part of the ecclesia, meaning the church or the called out ones. Your heart will be circumcised and you will be sanctified, meaning you will be set apart from your flesh. We are eternally secure in him because he who begins a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. And daily we will work out our salvation with reverent fear and rejoice and trembling as we conform to the image of Jesus Christ. We become disciples of Jesus and that discipleship journey will look different for everyone. So do not compare yourself to other Christians, but only to Jesus Christ because he is the only standard we strive for. Repent today, that is to turn towards Jesus. Do not let man deceive you into thinking that you must drop all your sins before you come to Jesus. Jesus wants you to come just as you are because he came to call the sinners to repentance, not the righteous. Those who are given to him by God and seek him, he shall in no way cast out. 
Stop clinging on to the branches of religion and instead come to know the true vine, that is Jesus Christ, because without him, there is no victory, there is no deliverance, and there is no healing. We can do nothing without him. He is our savior from the penalty of sin. He is our savior from the power of sin. And eventually he will be our savior from the presence of sin. He himself took on the penalty of your sin that you would find forgiveness and redemption from your sin today. He desires a relationship with you and heaven is waiting to rejoice when you turn to him. Receive the free gift of salvation today through faith in Jesus Christ and enter through the narrow gate that leads to eternal life with your heavenly Father. Amen. Isn't Jesus great, guys? And today we're just going to get to learn even more about how great he truly is. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I just want to thank you, Lord, for placing your hand and your blessing on this ministry, Lord. I want to thank you for each and every individual who has subscribed to this channel and even those who are not subscribed but are just tuning in. Lord, I pray that you will speak to them today and they will come to see your the beauty of your love and mercy and that they will turn to you today and see how you came as a humble servant and how they themselves can become humble servants to bring you glory and honor. Lord, we just love you and praise you and we want to bring you glory in all that we do. We pray all this in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, guys, let's go ahead and dive into the word and be transformed. All right, guys. Well, I am joined today by another great guest. We have Pastor Tim here from Real Life Jamestown Church. How's it going? Hey, I'm doing good. Good to be with you, Jordan. Yeah, it's good to finally have the chance to meet you. Um, for my longtime listeners, uh, this is actually the pastor of the church that our first guest, Jordan and Kira, were part of. And you were actually my very first, well, your church was my very first subscriber ever, which oh, is wow. super That's cool. <laughs> so I always start every podcast by asking my guests, what is your favorite Bible verse and why does that one mean so much to you? Um, you know, I'll just say super quick. Sometimes it's the verse, if you ever, you take a Bible verse you really should read before and after. And uh, my, there was a verse that really struck me that um, will be familiar to a lot of your listeners, I think. But when I read the next verse, all of a sudden that kind of really gripped me. So I'll just read to you. It's Ephesians 3. Um, let's see, 20 and then 21. So it's uh, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all uh, that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church. That was the extra verse that I read along. I'm like, whoa. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. 
Man, that's a heavy one-two punch right there. Yeah, but I love the book of Ephesians. There's, it's so jam-packed with so many powerful verses straight from the beginning. It's one of my go-to verses primarily because I'm a huge advocate for eternal security. So that's the book that I'll often go to to show how... Kind of point to the Father having a big uh, say in who he chooses and stuff. <laughs> there is that doctrine of election. Yeah, that's for, definitely, definitely. That'd be a spot to find it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what led into your calling as a pastor? Well, I guess um, you could say God's sovereignty, you know. You know, if we want to go back to the begin before the foundations of the earth, you know, uh, you know, Ephesian style but really just simplified I grew up in a in a pastor's home my dad was a pastor and I grew up in church my whole life so I got saved early and often you know going to Sunday school we were always saying the sinner's prayer and this and that and uh but I didn't want anything to do with ministry but I, I would go to these um bible camp you know like Christian camp you know for a week and when I was 12 years old um, after one of the weeks at this camp, the counselor pulled me aside and said, Hey man, you know, I got to tell you, I just feel like God is, was showing me this week that you're someone who's called into ministry into full-time ministry, you know, as a mouthpiece. And that was it. But it just rang true to me. I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. You know, and it, great. You know, I guess that's that, you know, <laughs> and then so I'm, I'm going to be 42 this year. So I was 12 then, you know, in the last oh, wow. 30 years have been trying to figure out what the heck he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. And if I'm correct in saying this, your church is actually non-denominational, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, we flow out of a stream, you know, um, that is a little touch Pentecostal in background, you could say. Okay. Cause but, that's, um, that's what I was going to ask was what yeah. was your upbringing? Yeah, well, Elam Fellowship. So if you want to do any Googling, uh, my dad was a Elam Fellowship pastor. And that's a small uh, collection. You know, uh, it's very relational, not real authoritarian. So it's more a relational network. But there's a Bible school that's central to that group. And so that's where I studied at Elam Bible Institute. And uh so, yeah, there's it's not that, you know, people say non-denominational, but it's like, well, you didn't just fall off of Mars or anything. You <laughs> you you got to look at church history. You got to you know, you're standing on somebody's shoulders, whether they have a lot of authority over you or they prescribe how you worship or anything like that. That's a different question. But, um, you know, so I would say, yeah, that kind of Pentecostal um, charismatic. But my my take is. You know, when when uh, the Pentecostals came on the scene in the turn of the century, 1900 and change, you know, 09, 10, whatever it was. Um, oh, God is doing something new, you know, and, and this is this is what's up in this moment. And then somewhere along the line, they're like, and we need to form a denomination <laughs> and then persecute everybody that does something new, you know. So I've always thought it was funny, you know, how you know lutherans start to have an issue with who who comes after them and and so i want to stay in the progress of of uh what god is doing yeah i i agree because i feel like we've gotten so far with 
all the denominations, especially since the Reformation that has created so much division and who has the right message, who has the right dogmas. But I think just getting to that ultimate principle of what is the true gospel and how do we get people saved is the most fundamental part. So when it comes to real life, Jamestown, what is some of the things that your church specializes in and where is your ministry focus? <laughs> oh, I haven't thought about what our special, what we specialize in. That's funny. Um, you know, I think, um, I think every pastor would say this same thing, but I'm going to say it and mean it. And it's authentic, which is we're really looking at, I, I gave that Ephesians 3.21, to him be glory in the church and in every and in Christ Jesus in every generation forever and ever, amen. What does it look like for that prayer to be answered? Glory in the church. And uh, that's a deep subject, you know, what is glory and what is that, you know, what is that, what is the church, you know, like, but really looking to scripture to say, what is the DNA of the church that Jesus is building and then how does that manifest or play out or you know develop in our context 21st century Jamestown New York you know and so I, I think um we're very casual I can say that <laughs> I think that's really good because I think so many people have this understanding that when I go to church, it's got to be suit and tie. And I'll tell you, there's been so many times I just walk in with my hoodie in church. And like, I think, you know, Jesus says, come as you are. There's no reason to put on a show for anybody that you're going there for. You're going there for God. So I don't see a problem with being casual. Yeah, this Sunday, you know, um, I was not having a very good hair day. <laughs> not as great as it is today. <laughs> and I was trying to get the paste in there and get it all, you know, looking like Elvis and whatever, and wasn't working. And I'm like, I know I'm not fighting this. I'm not going to keep playing this game. I just put my hat on and, and I was just wearing a hat. And uh, I like to dress the same as I do during the week. I understand the idea to say, well, we need to honor God and bring our best. I get that. And, and I respect that. But for me personally, my value is on if I meet someone on the street, and invite them to the gathering i want them they don't see any difference in me when they yeah i'm the same guy on monday as i am on sunday and throughout and and just to, to be able to say to them just like i'm dressed now you're fine man just come as you are wear what you can wear but i ran into this guy who was there for the first time he's actually one of jordan kira's neighbors and uh not very familiar with our church or anything very contemporary as far as church would go and he was just there for a grandchild that he was bringing in the daughter or whatever it was. And he was chatting and I was chatting and I'm, Oh yeah, I, I remember we had a, you know, whatever. And he's, Oh, what's your role here? And I'm like, well, I'm actually the lead pastor. And he's like, Oh, okay. you know, <laughs> All right. And you're wearing a hat, you know, he's an older guy. And I'm like, yeah, you know, so I do like to be like the undercover pastor. Cause I love the shock when you meet a guest yeah. And you're just hanging out and chatting and then you hop up and they're like, okay, didn't see that coming. <laughs> this guy, the pastor is going to preach today. 
to me that that's rich <laughs> yeah well i think it's really cool because you know obviously the apostles weren't changing in and out of clothes and it kind of ties back when you're talking about this i keep thinking about the book of james and how everybody that was attending church were being respecter of people and ignoring like the poor people that yes. were walking in and just oh these rich people are so amazing but being able to promote such a casual atmosphere allows anyone to come just as they are and feel comfortable. They don't have to worry about going out and buying the best cologne, the best suit. They can just come with the clothes that they have on their back. Sometimes that's the only thing they have. And it provides an area of worship for them, especially in these trying times. Yeah, I'd say that is, that's kind of our niche, you know, and um, we have a core value of people core value number three people jesus died for people not programs so we're not going to pick and choose who we love and it's it is based off of that you know james passage that talks about you know god is no respecter of persons and we don't show favoritism in the church to really try to leave that out we're pretty eclectic group now because of that (laughs) i love that yeah and i'm actually looking at your you're talking about your what's listed on your website as your dna i really like what you guys have here um what led into these seven points and what made you decide that these are the ones that our church needs to be focused on well first of all i think the dna of the church should be universal to a large degree and then it just expresses in different cultures or different, you know, periods of time or whatever, you know, obviously you, you want to uh, be relevant to the people that you're reaching and that kind of thing. So in a Spanish neighborhood, it'd be good to have a Spanish speaking service or something, or, you know? Yeah. Um, so I would say this is, it comes out of what I see in scripture largely. And then saying, these are the points of rub or friction or like, if your core values set the culture of your group or, or additionally set the boundaries or the guardrails, um, these are the things that I want to be able to refer to with leaders and say, hey, we have a core value of people, you know, and the way you just talked to so-and-so back there kind of doesn't work. You yeah. Know? No, it's definitely, I think it's a great idea to have those guidelines. I mean, everybody has a statement of faith, but I love how you guys word it with, this is our DNA. I think that's very important because it's like, this is who we are. This isn't what we just, this isn't our code of conduct. This is who we are. It really is a tool, a leadership tool to say, hey, this is how our culture is here. And and, uh, here's why. And I've, I've referred to them endlessly. And I know it's actually working when you start to hear people, you know, say it back to you you're like all right okay (laughs) you're getting that (laughs) that's awesome so today we're going to be talking a lot about this theme of communion when you hear that word communion what comes to mind Uh, you know obviously the lord's supper um but really the for me the context that I come out of, we had our way, you know, which is different if I went to a Catholic service or whatever. Um, But I I hear, you know, community, you know, coming together in union, like union with Christ, like this is the one thing that binds us together. We could be a very eclectic, blended group, people that I think the church should be that where you put on display to culture what actual unity looks like. You know, an actual people just 
loving each other like all jesusy and whatever you know yeah <laughs> so that does evoke that and and the the blood and body of christ that is the core that is the the message yeah i agree 100 percent. it's very important to have that and it comes down to as we were talking about just having that type of atmosphere that fosters that because you brought up um, the Roman Catholic mass and all that. And some of these are just religious rituals rather than uh, fellowship with each other and with God as the Lord's Supper was intended. So if somebody were to come to your church for the very first time and they ask, what exactly is communion? What would you tell them? Well, I actually, I actually try to include that to some degree in our um, practice of it, uh, you know, to say that, this is something that the that Jesus instituted as a, a way for us to remember him and the blood or the, the the bread represents his body which was broken to me it's an opportunity to share the gospel yeah um and i would say it's it's a uh it is a ritual you know um being non-denom we like to stay away from words like ritualistic and <laughs> tradition and what have you but i mean really it is it's it, it's a ritual it's a it's something we do together to to really pause and remember jesus and express thanks that's why I like the original i don't know if it's the original word but uh eucharist you know mm. you've heard it called the eucharist yeah it means giving thanks you know mm -hmm. it's yeah. the thanksgiving I'm very big into church history, so, like, I know that that's something they started to call it very early on. That's not to be confused with, for my listeners, that's not to be confused with the Roman Catholic Eucharist, where they believe in transubstantiation, which is something that us as Protestants don't agree with. Um, I personally feel that that has a lot of pagan roots to it, but um, I do agree that it is all about taking that time to commemorate what Jesus did to you, standing together in unity in his body, and um, there's no denying that there's some form of the presence of the Lord present at the supper, so I think that's absolutely amazing. Yeah, I think, I think it's, um, you know, because the church also teaches, can teach that, uh, baptism what do they call those things the not the ordinances the uh i'm drawing a total blank like the that the church has baptism marriage uh are we talking about creeds no no the sacraments sacraments okay yeah. <laughs> we the got there <laughs> i know there was a word and it was totally evading me and uh so it's just like don't fight it just <laughs> ask for help ask raise your hand and ask for help um, yeah, the sacraments of the church are the way, they're actually the way that the grace of God is meted out and distributed to people. So if I withhold communion from you, you can't come to the Father and you might die in your sins. And of course, I don't believe that for a second, that the church is the is the mediator of the new covenant, you know? Yeah. But, uh, I do think there's something special there, like with for sure. baptism or with communion like there is something special uh, of god's grace in that moment to meet you as we're remembering him oh come on kitty i don't <laughs> part of this that's fat lizzie that's her nickname fat lizzie 
we love a surprise guest. <laughs> but no, I agree. There's definitely something very special about those moments and they should not be um, ignored by any means, which we'll actually dive into a little bit today. So we're actually going to go ahead and dive into the word now. And we're going to start with talking about when the disciples pre- prepared for the Passover. So go ahead and take a listen. And- then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover, that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And ye shall say unto the goodman of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished. There make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. So we read about the Passover here, and personally, the book of Exodus has always been one of my favorite accounts in the Bible. It's been, it seems like it's followed me all throughout my life. Um, what is the significance of Jesus observing the Passover with his disciples here? Um, first of all, Jesus did fulfill the law throughout his life so it's in it's you know it's a it's a feast to observe and he did observe the feast so i mean there's that just at base level you know but i think um especially that he's now going to institute the lord's supper which becomes the christian observance of the actual god himself providing the lamb in his son jesus himself in his death fulfills passover and like the triumphal entry, if I, I'm, I'm shooting from the hip here, so check me out. You know, I could be 100% wrong. But when he came and entered the city that was correlated to the Passover, that was when the, they brought in the lambs through the sheep gate or whatever it was. Oh, wow. I mean, he, he, his, he was the lamb. He was the sacrificial lamb. He was the one that was pure and spotless and without blemish and so on and so forth. And it was his blood that actually atoned for sin, you know? So the significance of the Passover, Jesus observing it is that he himself, I mean, this is what this is. This is, it says in scripture that, you know, the things in the old Testament are shadows of reality and what's in heaven. And it's pointing towards the Messiah. And uh, there, there is no Passover, but for, this moment in history yeah and there is brought- no need to bring the children of israel out of egypt but for the fact that you know god is bringing salvation to the world yeah. and he's going to bring his son through the jewish nation you know so um I, it if you want to if you want to understand christianity it's all about jesus yeah absolutely that's it and- I feel like a lot of people don't fully grasp grasp this either because they feel that um, Christians are doing a disservice to the Old Testament by not observing these old things such as the Sabbath, the Passover, all these things, but they don't realize how Jesus fulfilled it. So you actually brought up a really good point there. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. I'm here all week. <laughs> Um, 
So this next account we're going to look at is where one of Jesus's disciples actually agrees to betray Jesus. So go ahead and take a listen. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. All right, so one question that Christians seem to struggle with is this idea of why would Jesus choose somebody who he knew would betray him? I think we're talking about Judas here, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I don't, you know, it's good. It's a good exercise to try to think these things through. We need to be a tiny bit careful because we project a very Western, modern, even post-Christian mindset you know worldview almost you know into what we're reading and so we say well we project our own personality into it etc so it's like why would jesus do that you know well i would say what matters what could bring an answer to that most is what does the bible actually say about him choosing anybody mm-hmm. and uh when you when you uh you read like the calling of Simon, you know, Peter and Andrew or whoever they were, you know, Andrew, James, John, Peter, Peter and Andrew. I think it was again, Google that (laughs) in there. It says that Jesus was walking beside the sea. He was just walking beside the sea. He saw two brothers, you know, I believe the Holy spirit spoke to him in that moment. So I think he had an understanding ahead of time of certain things and other things times it was in real time and other times he just you know was riffing you know just spitballing getting you know doing doing the whole messiah thing and 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 working it out with his father as he went so i think he called he called quite a few disciples quite a few people followed him but when he chose 12 of them to be his apostles apostles just means one who is sent you know sent ones they you know think missionary slash ambassador or something like that um he chose 12 if you read about that what did he do before that he literally prayed all night which is something i have never done <laughs> yeah, neither I, <laughs> I sleep at night you know but jesus said this decision he's about to make he understood this is a big deal. Tomorrow I choose 12 and I need to get this right. He would have been aware at that point. I think that one of the 12 will betray me, but I'm not certain he knew when he chose, which it would be. Yeah, it's very interesting. He could have, but we don't know that he did know. Yeah. He, we do know that he knew at the last supper who it was and that someone was going to betray him. And he would have known uh even through the scriptures that he'd be betrayed mm-hmm. so uh, he must have known one of these 12 is going to betray me but which is it because mm. originally Ju- G- judas was in the mix as a jesus follower he was fo- he was a disciple and following this rabbi 
Well, that actually, that brings me to another question I had. So what makes a disciple that follows Jesus with their heart different than a disciple who just follows Jesus with their feet? Uh, I think more surrender to the grace of God in their life because uh, you know, this is getting, we're going to get back into Calvinism if we're not careful, but <laughs> or Armenian, Armenianism, I'm kind of like a blend because I just try to see the word and try to see what comes out of it. And there is a tension there, you know, and mm-hmm. it's hard to, um, it's hard for us to work out. Yeah. And so that's why there are five points of Calvinism because it was hard to work out. And, and the Armenians are saying, here's these five things that we have issue with you know, Calvin didn't set the five points they did, you know? Right. But, um, what was the question? <laughs> what makes a disciple who follows Jesus with their heart different than someone who follows them with their feet? So like 11 of those remain very faithful, but one okay. of them was very unfaithful. Also. Gotcha. I think the difference was when you see, uh, Jesus says to Peter, or he says to the twelve. Uh, who do men say that I am? And then they say, some say John the Baptist and some say Elijah and some say this, that, or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Well, who do you say that I am? See, this is the, this is the ultimately the heartbeat or the crux of, or whatever you want to say, the critical moment for anybody who's ever going to surrender their life to God and to, through Jesus, his son is who is this guy? Who is this man? And, uh, you know, it's famous. Famously, Peter says, uh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, you know, and then Jesus says, well, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. I'm going to imagine we only hear what Peter shared. And he speaks very specifically to Peter uh, in response but I'm going to imagine these guys had their light bulbs going off at different times where they're like, this is the son of God. This is the Messiah. I followed him because of his word, because of his miracle, because my, something, my heart left within me, whatever it is. But now I know that I know that what I'm seeing is he's not a prophet. He's not a good teacher, you know, a good moral teacher. He's not a madman. He's not a zealot, you know, etc. He is the son of God. I have to believe that Judas never got there or he got there and pulled back, which is an eternal security question, but, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. He never got there. Trust me. It, it, it's the only way that it can work. Um, uh, but I think, I think Judas, for whatever reason, his heart was divided and he wasn't able to or willing to, or Jesus just didn't meet his expectation of what it would mean for the Messiah to come. And so he could, he didn't get the revelation from the father somehow who Jesus was. And what's interesting about that passage is we see that Satan entered Judas and we hear Judas described as the son of perdition which is only used one other time and that's to describe the antichrist so what exactly happened here was Judas possessed did he just get tempted to a point of no return like what exactly happened in that scenario well 
I imagine because he he it was set up already, I think, to a large degree that he he uh, had already made his deal, thirty pieces of silver if you betray him. And uh, again, Google that because maybe he ran off and made his deal. You know, it gets foggy. The details get foggy, but the the outcome is the same, which is uh, he knew what he was doing. And I saw something because I did quickly review that little bit, you know, in John, the passage in John, you know, the one to whom I give this bread after I've dipped it in the cup and, and so on and so forth. And he passes it right to Judas. And Judas, it said, he took it and then Satan filled him. Mm-hmm. And I thought up until that point, I think Satan it seems like he took a personal interest in this particular transaction with humanity. Like it, it wasn't a, just a spirit. It said it was Satan, not just a, not just a demon. Jesus cast all kinds of demons. We never called these. This is Satan himself. You want a job done right, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, it wasn't until that moment that we see Satan actually filling and entering. I would say possessing. Yeah. Yeah. Judas but he obviously had been whispering and lying and, and, and twisting the truth and getting him to doubt that this Jesus is who the other guys believe. He can't be the Messiah. He's not sharpening his swords and whatever, you know, he thought the Messiah would do. But when Judas took the bread, I, I just saw this for the first time. It was like he sealed his fate. Because he, instead of saying yes to Jesus and receiving the sacrifice and everything that that represented, he was literally giving himself over to Satan. Because if you think of it, like prior to that, um, Jesus says to Peter, you know, okay, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter's like, no, you are not. Because <laughs> I know who you are. You know, I'm the servant. You're the master. You don't wash my feet. You know, I'll wash yours, but you are not washing mine. You know, like he wouldn't receive it until Jesus said, you have to receive it or you have no part in me. Okay. Then wash, you know, my head and everything, you know, (laughs) you know, like hit me with everything, you know, but I can imagine if Jesus said the one to whom I dip and pass it to is the one who will betray. Cause they were asking like, was it me? Is it me? Oh, 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 you know, they were like, their hearts were troubled and stirred. There's only one person there that didn't have a troubled heart. I don't think. Wow. And yeah, there's I only never one person like there that. that would have received it. Like if you tried to pass that to Peter or John, they'd be like, I ain't touching that thing. There's no, there's no, nothing that can make me betray you. Yeah. Even though oh, that's they all a, really... a few hours later, but that's a different <laughs> Yeah, no, that's very interesting. I never really looked at it from that perspective, but that's very true. He really did seal his fate with that decision in that moment. And um, you actually just brought up the fact that uh, Jesus washed, washed the disciples' feet, which is the next thing we're going to talk about. So go ahead and take a listen. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot Simon's son to betray him, 
Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen. But that the Scripture may be fulfilled, He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you, before it come, that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that receiveth whomsoever I send, receiveth me, and he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. So, what is the significance here of Jesus washing his disciples' feet? Well, I think, if we just take whatever he said, you know, he was, you know, just at, on the surface, he was giving a demonstration, like, if I can serve you, you all can serve each other. And actually, that's what this is about, right? So be, being a Christian is being a little Christ, mm -hmm. little Jesus, and he was the ultimate servant. So if he can, I guess, condescend from heaven's throne to the point of the servant washing the feet of these guys. <laughs> it's a favorite pastime to judge the, dis the disciples. Everybody thinks they'd do so great if they had the shit. <laughs> like, you would never make it. They walk too far. <laughs> but, um, there, you know, you think of, um, Philippians 2, 9, in the following verses that Jesus, you know, didn't consider that his equality with God was something to hang on to or to be grasped and didn't count it robbery, you know, whatever you know, translation you like. But he emptied himself and took the form of a servant, you know, and was obedient even to death on the cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him, given him above every name, you know. And... um 
this is where that comes to a very, very focal point as much as anything other than actually when he lays his life down at the cross. That's where he's ultimately washing them, you know. Uh, and then he does say, you know, as he goes on, basically a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Well, you, you, you can practice by serving each other, you know. Yeah. Part of love is to serve and to, to, to put the other first, you first instead of me first mentality, you know. And a uh, new commandment I give you that you love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. So yeah. I've said, you know, our greatest outreach, you want to talk about outreach as a church, our greatest impact, our greatest outreach is our love for each other. The way we serve each other. I can go out on the street and talk a big game and blow a bunch of smoke at somebody and tell them how great Jesus is and how, you know, you need to become a Christian and then bring them to church and they get involved in some kind of spaghetti dinner or whatever it is, you know, and they're like, wow, these guys are like really jerks to each other. That's actually not been my experience, but I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, that it's, it's like a trope almost, you know, um, but there can be like, that's really the proof, isn't it? The evidence. Yeah. Did Jesus rise from the dead. I don't know, check out church people and see how well they treat each other and love each other and serve each other. Cause that'll tell you if, yeah. if it's different in the back, the inner workings of the church teams and you know, what goes on, that should be different than the office Yeah, in a and secular work setting, you know, it should be very different. For sure. And I think it doesn't really take anybody, um, much discernment to realize just how different Christianity is. I mean, here in Christianity, we have the God of all the universe coming down in the form of man and serving mankind, whereas all these other so-called prophets and lowercase g's are rising up and um, they're like, look at me, I'm so great. And then all other religions are all about how man can save themselves. But Christianity is like, you can't, like, let me do it for you. Like, to me, it's just Christianity is the only religion out there that has an assurance of salvation to begin with. And it's the only one that doesn't rely on anything that we do. And the message that Jesus shows here is just a great example. And you point out is exactly how we should be living to serve one another. Yeah. And I, some, you know, understanding, I say revelation, but it's really just new understanding for me, like understanding something better that I have been coming to lately. Is it the same way that we have to um, just surrender and receive out of our total, I'm not trying to say depravity, but like our total need, our total poverty, our total brokenness lostness we so much need a savior and we can't do it and all we're just like we just receive it you know the free gift of god through his son is the same way we continue to walk it out yeah and that's probably the difference between the religious minded christian like i don't judge anybody 
I can say that this, that, or the other thing is sin, or, you know, you're kind of monkeying it up over here or whatever, but I'm not judging because the only way that I stand is through his grace. You know, the only way that I, it's still him working in us, you know, it's yeah. still his work within us, still the Holy spirit empowering me. Like I just apart, he's Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing as in nothing of any consequence that bears fruit. Cause it was in the context of the, the grapes, you know, the, the, the vine and branches. And so that's been a big one, you know, lately is just, okay. It's like, it is as impossible to live out the, the Christian life and to be like Jesus and to grow, you know, to be transformed into his nature and image and, it's it's that impossible the same you know what i'm saying as it is to save ourselves we can't save ourselves and we can't do it Mm -hmm. and yet we can because he empowers us we're overcomers you know absolutely so i think there's something childlike staying childlike yeah like a child and i walk forward i walk it out like a child you know uh i think you know, when the Bible tells us to have childlike faith, that's so important because look at, I mean, we've already dropped so many different theological names and different doctrines. It's man overcomplicates it. <laughs> yes. Yes. But um, yeah, I think that it's very important that we realize that Jesus is the source of grace and with that grace comes power. So. Yep. So this next account that we're going to look at is when they actually share in the Lord's Supper. So go ahead and take a listen. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then, lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him, for some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. All right, so when it comes to the Lord's Supper, do you feel that today's church kind of dismisses its importance? I don't know, you know, because I, I, I think to put your finger on the pulse of today's church is, I mean, what, you know, it's so diverse, like politicians, you always hear them say, well, the American people, blah, 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 fill in the blank. And it's like the American people always agree with whoever's talking as a politician, you know, the people this and the people that, you know, it's like, no, it's very so, true. So, so I know, I, I don't know, you know, I know what my perspective is. About so what, 
what is your perspective? You know what's interesting? An interesting take would be we have a, a, a guy in our church and he was going to seminary at Roberts Wesleyan. They have a Northeastern Seminary there. And they're coming from a, eh, a lot more uh, mainline type of approach, it seems like. And they, their favorite pastime was to chew on the non-denominational guy that's, you know, from contemporary church. And like, that's what that whole, the whole seminary was about. Like, we got one here, you know, but he was in a class and they, that this was the topic. And the assignment was like, you know, observe and write down. And what is your tradition of the Lord's Supper? And how do you handle it? And what's the meaning? And, and uh, you know, I think our, my stream, like the more contemporary church and non-denominational contemporary, whatever that evokes, you know, because the background has been to kind of bristle against i can say rail against but i'm not railing but i have i have in my time bristled against you know liturgical things and traditional things and um and so we make it so casual and so much about hey this is like a memory you know like just to remember it's just a object lesson and i think in general if 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 how we had been approaching it was representative of a much larger movement or trend, then there's definitely room to go higher yeah. in our reverence and re even just respect, reverence, uh, just, you know, if the fear of the Lord is not a bad thing. No, not at <laughs> in all. Your service and, yeah. So I think we can, I think we, I can only speak for myself, can definitely up our game that way. For sure. I think we definitely should apply a little bit more reverence to it than what a lot of churches do. You know, some churches only do it around holidays and things like that. And um, when they do do it, it's just, you know, something that's on the agenda but like let's not take too much time with it and i think that really dismisses the importance of the lord's supper um one passage that i found that people oftentimes struggle with and it's actually kept them from partaking in communion is in first corinthians where it talks about taking the supper in an unworthy manner we have a new friend here how's it going girl this is number seven number She's seven Seven and final child. <laughs> got two girls and five boys, so. Oh, wow. <laughs> and they just jump up no matter what. They're coming up, so. I get anxiety just thinking about having one. <laughs> it's way worse than having a dog, I can tell you. <laughs> so, um... Going back to that verse in First Corinthians, you know, there's that fear of taking it in an unworthy manner. So people sometimes refrain from taking it altogether. But what do you think people are misunderstanding about the context of that verse? Well, um, I don't have to be a historical scholar to to have some of those answers. You can literally just read it because um, Paul in writing that 
chapter is it is it first corinthians 11 i think i couldn't remember the chapter off the top of my head it was something i definitely should have wrote down before i asked the question but it just came to my mind 11 doesn't matter you know again i can say google that um (laughs) it's right uh uh partake in an unworthy manner and it comes up right away i think it's 11 doesn't matter uh you just read it and you can see he's pretty explicit what the issues were Mm -hmm. so again it was the corinthian church so the church at corinth and uh they were um they were treating it way too casual they were not um quite connecting the seriousness of like this is is close as you're going to come to standing at the foot of the cross you know this you are partaking of almost of the body and blood of jesus not transubstantiation style but like his sacrifice what it means that that grace in your life like this is as real and as sober a moment as you can have like he was trying to set that bar for them because they obviously weren't getting it and he said uh people are treating it more about you know they call it a love feast they were they were were treating it more about it was more like a potluck than it was the lord's supper yeah i mean people were using it to get drunk and overeating so like gluttony was there um but there are preachers out there that say well if you're struggling with a sin right now, you should not take communion. And they'll cite that verse. So as a pastor, somebody... I would say you should take communion. You need it. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Like, just because you're struggling with sin, I can't think of a Christian... I mean, some seasons are easier than others, but we always have an area where we can grow, whether that's anger or lust or what have you, somebody has an area that they can work on and grow. And that's the beauty of being a Christian. But when you have these people that come in and say like, no, you're not, wor- none of us are worthy, technically, <laughs> that, that, that's the power of grace. <laughs> right. We come, be, we come boldly before the throne of grace. Absolutely. Um, what was the question there though because i i know i had other thought but it's not uh hopping out what was what were we just talking about i'm I'm adhd so sometimes you're fine i get very distracted very easily it goes away and i can't find i have ocd so i'm almost on the same type of like my mind just we were talking about first corinthians and that verse of taking it in an unworthy unworthy manner and you started to allude to um you know pastors that say now is a really good time to take inventory i think if it's that same passage i'm not sure but it says let a man examine himself so you should take examine yourself am i approaching the lord's table with the proper just i guess i keep coming to sobriety but sober mind of like wow this is about jesus's blood and body and he says if you don't you might be guilty of an offense against the Lord's own death. And, you know, it's like, woof, that's kind of a touch serious, <laughs> but um, they, they talk a lot about, you know, go and make things right. Don't be eating, you know, taking communion when you have unforgiveness and, 
you've been fighting with someone. So they say, go and, and make amends. And then, you know, and I, I think they take that Jesus was talking about, you know, being reconciled when you bring your gift to the altar, um, which was an old Testament temple type matter, you know, context. Um, first go and reconcile with your brother and take care of your relational business and forgiveness and so on, be reconciled and then come and offer your gift or you're wasting your time. I think it's really a mashup of those two things is how we get to that. Cause I don't see it um, in that passage. Yeah. Just, I don't just, I just don't see it there. Yeah. I think a lot of people take what they want from the text in order to promote their own self-righteousness, if you will, or their authority over people. But personally, I think as long as somebody has received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, you have every right to partake in the Lord's Supper. And, you know, there's a lot of deliverance that can happen in your time of communion with the Lord as well. So I don't think it's something that I, I think people need to remember the context of what it means to take it in an unworthy manner. And it was people who were over overeating and drinking. So, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And doing so, this goes back to way back to the beginning of our conversation of, um, you know, favoritism and the rich and the poor and so forth. And they say people come in with all kinds of food and then other people don't have anything because they're poor, you know, and, and we're not sharing. And it's like, this just does not demonstrate jesus's heart you know with mm -hmm. service and servanthood and love and and so he's like you shouldn't be doing this yeah. it's not the good man the corinth church was such a mess but thankfully we had them to give us so many life lessons <laughs> well yeah we can they did a hot, you know a really good job of you know getting us those two letters at least mm -hmm. <laughs> So as we wrap up today's conversation, as you alluded to earlier, we see Jesus in these passages as a servant. So why would the king of all the universe decide that the best way for him to come down was to be a servant to a nation or to a world even that turned their back on him completely? Well, this is pretty high level uh, stuff, actually, why the king of the universe does anything. So right. maybe just a touch above my pay grade. But uh, <laughs> first of all, I would recognize that I would say why when he came the first time, did he come as a servant? Because he's coming a second time mm. and then he comes as a conquering king. Yeah. On a white horse. And that's kind of exciting to me. Um, but. I think a, a part of it was because it pleased the father. Mm. You know, it says the lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world in the heart, in the mind of God, before he um, creates, we can say time space, if you want continuum and, and, uh, and the world and people and so forth. It was already determined that I'm going to demonstrate my really the true name my true nature which is love you know god is love oh okay what is love god is you know <laughs> what is love uh the cross yeah. the, the, to 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 uh put you know to condescend to the point that jesus did 
and to serve others and to lay your own life down. And, you know, like even uh, there's an aspect of just obedience it says Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. It's like, nevertheless, not my will, but yours, you know, like Jesus was praying, like, is there another way? If there's another way, let's do that option. But if there isn't, then, you know, your will be done. Um, it had to be is what I take from that prayer. It had to be that way. Yeah. And maybe we wouldn't have any notion of God's, the true depth of his, really his wisdom, his love, his, uh, you know, the value he places on us. We wouldn't have that if he just came down and it was like, let's do the whole Jewish Messiah thing. Let's beat the Romans. Let's set up a theocracy, you know, and do any of that, you know, like it's terrible and beautiful at the same time, the cross. Yeah. And I just, I, I don't think we could know God as much as we can without right. that, Absolutely. without that demonstration, you know? Uh, I agree 100%. It, it's just, I mean, it doesn't get much more personal than that. I mean, that's why I feel that it's without question that the Christian God is the only true God and the only one worth worshiping. No other God would do anything like that for you. But um, taking all of that, what we see from Jesus coming down as a servant, what would you say to the listeners that they should take from that and put into their own life? Well... Um, Jesus said explicitly before he gives that, you know, demonstration of what it, you know, like this really enduring picture of him putting the towel around and his, his waist. And so he almost puts on a servant costume in the moment. Like he was really doing this up the whole way. Uh, he does say, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, then you need to be the servant of all. And he demonstrated that and so i think a lot of what you see basically in um the human condition and the brokenness of man and what we see um is people always striving to get ahead to climb the ladder to you know basically exalt themselves above others and jesus saying good idea wrong direction <laughs> you know yeah. you need to go lower if you want to go higher you know, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you got to, you got to go lower. And then Jesus says, and I'll show you because I'll, I'll go first and I'll demonstrate it and I'll lay down my life, you know? So I think it, um, it really cuts through the bull really, because as a pastor, you know, with a team and with leaders and people you're developing and you get into these situations sometimes that have to do with relational rub and this that or the other thing and uh, I was talking to a kid once and he had gotten himself into some trouble and it was because of the way he responded this you know and he had this big reason why he was right which was all air or pride and and fighting and you know nobody talks to me and, and he was very worldly perspective in the moment and if I was just trying to talk sense to him, he wouldn't have been able to hear me. But I'm like, so Jesus is our, 
standard or measuring stick is so simple. What you know, what would Jesus have done? Did you when the when this person came against you, did they get Jesus from you or what or what did they get? Yeah. Did you turn the other cheek? Did you hold your peace, you know? Doesn't stop you from telling something, someone something true, but it's to serve them, not to destroy them. You know, it's just like, it's just so like, um, we're called to be Christ-like. And there's such a powerful example of that in this washing of the feet that it just cuts through the bowl. I said that, you know, like in the church, especially because, you know, ambition can come in and it's really important for me to be the worship leader because I need to have, you know, because this is who I am. Like we find our identity and what we do. And just like, just like people in the world, a lot of times and people are struggling and striving with each other. And it's like, Jesus like makes it so clear. That's not a part of what he's doing. It's not a part of the church he's building. So, and, and if leaders can, Really, you know, the difference between maybe a church that's doing really well and not doing really well is if the leader themselves can can demonstrate. Very now true. I have a, now I have a model within our local group. This guy is not really exalting himself. This guy is willing to serve in any way. He's, you know, it's like people know the difference between humility and pride. For sure. Especially Most, when we're looking at each other. When we look at ourselves, we can't see it nearly as <laughs> well. I'm the most humble man you will ever meet. There is none like me in terms of humility. <laughs> no, it's so true. And we see that so often, especially in this day of so much controversy and fallen leaders. It's definitely um, good to have strong leadership. So if the viewers of this podcast do want to check out you or your church, how can they do so? Um, you know, an easy way is to hit us up on Facebook, our Facebook page. I think it's Real Life Jamestown, Real Life Jamestown on Facebook. Or you could go to our website. It's www.reallife. That's one word, one L, R-E-A-L-I-F-E www.reallifejtown, the letter J town.com. And that's our website. And there's a little bit about us there. Yeah. You can read about all the DNA. I'll put all those links in the description box below so they can check you out. But Pastor Tim, I want to thank you so much for coming on. It was great talking to you today. It's a ton of fun, man. I'll do it again. All right, church fam, it was another great conversation today with Pastor Tim. Again, if you want to check out anything from Real Life Jamestown, all their information will be in the description box below. Just give the description box a quick glance. There are plenty of great resources, including a playlist to this series that you guys can listen to as you're falling asleep or if you're in transit to work. Also, guys, remember that I am involved with Church of the Eternally Secures channel. I will be on there every Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday. All of their information will be in the description box below. Now, if you guys have any questions about today's topic or the gospel message, or you just want to reach out in general, feel free to send me an email. Again, my email is revivalistforchrist at gmail.com, or reach out to me on social media on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at rfchrist10. 
Again, guys, make sure that you hit that like button to help us in the algorithm. Also, be sure to subscribe and hit that bell notification. That way you can be notified of more great content that will equip the 21st century Christian. Also, make sure to share. That way you can help our ministry grow. And most importantly, leave a comment below to keep this conversation go. I'd love to hear from you guys. So, especially about this topic, you know, it's a very interesting how um, we did a deep dive into the Lord's Supper today, and we even looked at the account where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And to me, that is just one of the most breathtaking accounts in the Bible, because here you have the King, the Messiah, Jesus, bending down and serving his disciples and washing their feet. And the washing of the feet is so symbolic as well. We can see when Peter said, well, wash my whole body. And Jesus said, there's no need for that because you have already been washed. So we see that when we are justified, it is a one-time occurrence. We have been washed completely. Now, as we continue our Christian walk, there may be times that we need to have our feet washed, and that is our sanctification journey. But I just think this was such a beautiful illustration of the difference between justification and sanctification, which are two different things that people often overlook. The fact that your salvation experience is separate from your discipleship journey. So in the discipleship journey, we know we're going to get our feet dirty sometimes, and that's why we have Jesus there. But more importantly than that, we also see that Jesus leads by example for us to go out and wash other feet, and that is to serve others, edify others. And I want to read this passage because we mentioned the book of James a couple of times, and I want to read um, the beginning portion of chapter two, because I feel like it really speaks to the overall message of this idea of being a servant and not being a respecter of people. And as Christians, we should be there for all people. So starting in verse one of chapter two, my brethren have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory with respect of person. So we already see the respecter of persons being addressed here. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. So they're basically saying, like, okay, well, you're rich, you have money, like, I'm, like, standing in awe of you, come, sit with me. But with the the poor person, I'm, I'm going to avoid you. You can stand over there. And as Christians, that is not the right attitude to have. I mean, who are we to have that kind of judgment when Jesus Christ came and spent time with sinners, this holy incarnate version of God? I mean, he wasn't a respecter of persons. So why should we be when we are to be effective disciples of him? So picking it up in verse 4. Are ye not then partial of yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? Verse 5, hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? That is so important that those who are poor in this world, um, not always, but you're getting the general message 
what James is trying to say, are like they're rich in the kingdom. So we shouldn't allow this world's um, definition of success and also um, the riches and glory of this world captivate us so much um, because we're no better than the early Jews who looked down on people less fortunate than, than them as not having God's favor. Until next time, remember, God can use anybody, and Jesus came to save everybody. Rest in his promises, and take care, family.